Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition, edition 49 of If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking. I am your host, Archie Mitchell, and man, what a treat, what an unbelievable experience that we have made it to 49 episodes of this show. And I want to thank you all for following along, following on Facebook, listening here on the podcast. It is absolutely amazing the support that we are getting on the show. And without our listeners, without everybody involved like Nate Maxson, Aaron Maxson, and everybody in the We Can't Wrestle podcast family, it just wouldn't have happened. So I want to thank you all for being here and doing what it is you do. Um, Next week will be the 50th episode, and I will have something special planned. But a couple of show notes for tonight. Um, there will be no if you gr- if it, uh, what grinds my gears at the ending of the show tonight. Instead, I will be doing viewer, listener, asked questions. Um, I had everybody on the Facebook page um, go ahead and throw out some questions to me. So we're going to answer them at the ending of the show tonight. And a special thank you to Bobby Anders, Mandy M. Pesci, uh, Nathan Roberts, Ryan Damon, everyone who asks questions. Thank you guys so much. Unbelievable amount of support again. Uh, and also, next week, I will not, I repeat, I will not be doing a WrestleMania, a ba- a WrestleMania Backlash review show. Um, I've decided that the card has become too convoluted and changed on multiple occasions and it looks like a standard episode of raw and smackdown put together they just on friday night changed a couple of the main events it was supposed to be rk bro versus the usos in a unification match for the tag team titles and roman reigns i thought was going to be in a program with shinsuke nakamura well that got turned around and changed into a six-man tag and it will now be roman reigns and the usos teaming in a six-man tag against Rated RK Bro and Drew McIntyre. I don't get it. Um, so you change two matches into one. It really makes no sense. So, yes, I'm going to probably watch the highlights or read the spoilers. And if I see something good, I'll tell you guys about it. But I don't think this is going to be that great of a pay-per-view. In any indication, it is now time to crack open your favorite frosty beverage. Um, and you remember, I can't do that, so do it in honor of me. Sit down, relax, strap yourself in, and get ready to hear as I spew my venom, my hate, and my love for professional wrestling. And we're going to start it off with quick hits here. Number one, Dark Side of the Ring was not picked up for season four by Vice TV. Dark Side of the Ring started off as a great show, uh, a lot of great episodes. Uh, just to spout off a few, the Owen Hart, Owen Hart episode was absolutely incredible. <clears throat> uh, the Ultimate Warrior episode was great. Um, the episode about XPW, um, Luna Vachon, that happened this season on season three. The China episode was a blockbuster. There was just so much going on in that show. But this last season, the Ric Flair episode definitely got everyone going. Um, and, and got their goat, uh, and then definitely got Rick and definitely Tommy Dreamer in trouble. Um, so for whatever reason, Vice TV is not picking up the show. I do hope 
that maybe a streaming site or another channel does pick up Dark Side of the Ring because it was a fantastic show and I really did enjoy it. I learned so many things about the Owen Hart situation, about the old warrior, about a guy like Johnny Canine that I never uh, even knew existed until, you know, he uh, did the show. Um, the XPW episode, as much as I knew about XPW and Rob Black, I found out even more about it. So it was definitely a learning experience. There were a couple of things maybe I didn't like, but there were definitely a lot more good than bad. So I really do hope that the show gets uh, picked back up and brought into a different channel or a streaming site, like I said. If not, though, well, we have our memories of seasons one, two, three, and, um, you know, we'll live without it. I'm sure something else will come up that'll uh, get our interest just as well. Number two, Mustafa Ali returns to Monday Night Raw and beats The Miz. Now, we all know what was going on with Mustafa Ali. He wanted out of his WWE contract. Vince McMahon said no, or at least the higher-up said no, and sent him home to stay home with pay, but uh, not allow him out of his contract. Um, Mustafa was very adamant and upset about not having a little bit more of creative control around his character, about things that he was doing failing, and about the WWE not giving him the support that he wanted, and now not letting him out of his contract. So for him to come back Monday and beat a former World Heavyweight Champion like The Miz, well, that's groundbreaking. But it makes you wonder, is this Vince giving Mustafa a little more creativity and pushing him? Or is Vince just letting him beat The Miz and then going to make him into a punching bag for someone like Austin Theory and then some of the bigger guys again and just force-feeding Mustafa to any and everybody? It remains to be seen, but on a side note, he was then attacked after his match on the stage by Tommaso Ciampa. And he is going by just Ciampa now, uh, according to uh, Corey Graves and the rest of the announcers. So there's a name change there, and apparently has turned heel. Tommaso Ciampa left NXT as a tweener, but definitely more of a face than a heel. Uh, and it's a little weird to see him go full heel, but there has been talks of both himself and Rhea Ripley joining Edge's new faction, Judgment Day. Um, so if that's the case, okay, I'm for it. Let's go. Um, but if this is all done just to put him in a feud with Mustafa and then neither one of them uh, getting any traction or speed after that, then it's not worth it. But again, it remains to be seen. Uh, in any case, I'm happy to see Mustafa Ali back. I'm happy to see them doing something with Tommaso Ciampa. Uh, and I hope both guys have success from here on out. And finally, number three, the WWE released another crop of NXT talent. That's right. Nick Khan played another wonderful round of the game known as uh, We Wish You Well on Your Future Endeavors. Um, among the list of people that were fired, Dakota Kai, Malcolm Bivens, Dexter Loomis, Persia Parada, and Harlan. Now, with Dakota Kai and Malcolm Bivens, apparently they informed the WWE that they would not be re-signing their contract extensions or getting a new contract from the WWE. So instead of making them wait out the rest of their contract, the WWE fired them, which is kind of shitty. They could have let them stick around for the remainder of their contract and then been fired or let go or whatever. But the WWE wants that 90-day no-compete clause, so they had to fire them. Uh, is, Malcolm Bivens was a great manager. I hope he goes back to MLW uh, 
or Ring of Honor. If not, maybe AEW will pick both him and Dakota Kai up. I think Dakota would do in, in great uh, and have nothing but success in AEW if she did. Um, although she can go to Impact as well. Or back to the UK, you never know. Um, Persia Parada does need to go back to Australia and get some more um, training. She was a powerhouse, but she definitely had her moments of botchiness. Um, and Dexter Loomis, in my opinion, is the biggest hit here. Dexter was fantastic in any role they put him in NXT. And I think that he should have been given more. I don't understand the release. In any indication, I hope that he goes to NWA or an Impact or wherever he lands. I really hope that he finds a home and can be pushed with uh, great success. Harlan, I don't get either. He is a newcomer. He was signed in 2021. Paul Heyman put his stamp of approval on him and said, this is the next Brock Lesnar. They shaved his head and put him into a janitor's outfit. Put him with Joe Gacy. He had one match. Killed Brian Kendrick and threw him down some stairs. And now you let him go. It makes no sense. Uh, I'm not understanding it. I'm really not seeing where they're going. The rest of the uh, crop of talent that was let go were rookies who I have yet to see on any television show. So it begs the question, why did WWE hire them in the first place? But it's what the WWE does. They hire mass amounts of people and then fire whoever they feel like. But I, I have no doubt that a majority of the names that I said, such as Dakota Kai, Malcolm Bivens, and Dexter Loomis, will find homes and move on to bigger and better things. The rest, we have to wait and see. Again, it remains to be seen. I know I've said that a lot so far, but it does remain to be seen as to what is going to happen to everyone else that is being let go by NXT. Um, and once again, fuck you, Tony Khan, because you are ruining the WWE and taking away talent that we enjoy seeing to give us, well, not a whole lot. But that's going to do it for Quick Hits tonight. We now move on to NXT 2.0. And um, look, if you're an NXT 2.0 fan, you can hate me, but I did not enjoy this week's show. Uh, we start out this week with uh, Nikita Lyons making her way to the ring. For our opening match, and I'm I'm really not thrilled about this because, as I've said, she's all asset and not enough substance, if you get my uh, drift. And um, she's taking on Lash Legend. Not good here, either. And we're 45 minutes in, and they both botch big time. After that, it was basically, basically five minutes of punches and not necessary rolls. What I mean by that is anybody who thinks that the uh, Young Bucks take a bump and rolled for no reason. Well, these women were just rolling around the ring, just hoping to get the crowd involved. Um, bad Hun Conrana, and then her finisher from Lions. She gets the win in five minutes. Thank God, an end to the punishment. Very bad start to tonight. Post-match, Natalia hits the ring and helps Legend attack Lions. Cora Jade comes to help Lions, and oh God, are we going to get a tag match between these four? Cora Jade does not deserve this punishment in any way, shape, or form, fans. Absolutely ridiculous. We then hear from Tony D'Angelo, and he's saying what he's already said. He's the Don of NXT, and he will destroy Santos Escobar to get there. Um, you guys know how I feel about Tony D'Angelo. I think that he's a crap character, and I think somebody was watching the new Sopranos movie and decided, hey, 
We need a gangster. Thus, Tony D was born. We then go to the ring for, uh, oh, excuse me, Roderick Strong is trying to rally Diamond Mine, but he's fumbling his lines and he just isn't motivating. Uh, it sets up the Creed Brothers versus the returning Viking Raiders. That could be a great tag match. I guess we have to wait and see. And then Von Wagner takes on Tony D'Angelo. I thought Von Wagner was suspended. Apparently, he's uh, replacing the injured Zion Quinn, who got injured earlier in the day. And um, Robert Stone was able to get Von from being suspended. Uh, okay. But who are the two heels? Uh, why are there two heels going one-on-one here? Uh, I don't understand it here. One bit. Uh, very competitive matchup. D'Angelo actually got in a good amount of offense and looked good throughout. Von w- Wagner hit a power slam and a couple of big moves to keep Tony down. The two guy, wise guys from last week tried to get involved, but Legato del Fantasma put a stop to it and allowed Escobar to nail D'Angelo from behind and cost him the match. Von Mag- Wagner got the win by countout in 12 minutes. A lot going on, but a good matchup nonetheless. Uh, we see another vignette for Nathan Frazier, and I didn't know he was from NXT UK. So the main roster steals from NXT, and then NXT steals from NXT UK. Got it. Uh, we see Jensen, Briggs, and Daisy Duke. No, seriously, I don't know who this girl is. Um, they're getting pumped up for their tag match, and oh, God, it's been made. Natalia and Lash Legend will take on Cora Jade and Nikita Lyons. Uh, next week at Spring Breakout or whatever the hell it's called. So not only is it going to be a bad tag match, but Natalia will be here for longer because she's not going one-on-one with Cora Jade yet. So I imagine that she'll be here until the next big NXT, NXT show. And I just don't get it. She's got a prominent role on Raw and SmackDown. Her and Shia, uh, Shayna Baszler want to challenge for the tag team titles, but yet she's also on NXT watching and making a fool of herself. I guess that's to be expected from a woman who calls herself both, though. Grayson Waller comes out of nowhere and attacks Nathan Frazier's opponent and begins spewing hate towards Frazier, Andre Chase, and the entire NXT arena. He literally has go-away heat. I'm serious, guys. This is not hate because of anything that he does in the ring, except for when he talks. And I don't mean it because, well, he's a bad guy. I got to boo him. No. This man cannot cut a promo. It is bad. The accent is bad. The wrestling is bad. He has one move that he delivers great, that rolling cutter. And it's, you know. So, in any indication, this this show has been really bad so far. I hope you understand where I'm going with this one. And, oh, great. Team Botch, Carter and Catarizano is next. It looks like they'll take uh, everything I hate about NXT 2.0 and put it on this show in one shot. Uh, Mackenzie is interviewing Tiffany Stratton. She's babbling on about her hair being pulled, and it looks like Grayson. Oh, look, it's Grayson Waller again. I tuned out here. I don't know what was going on. I'll be honest. These were two people talking about total shit and not making any sense whatsoever. Team Botch then takes on the dancing Taya Conte wannabes. Um, I'm serious here. I don't know these girls' names either. I've been watching, and they, they seem to never say them or put their names across the screen. Uh, this was another sloppy match with uh, the dancing girls trying to be high flyers but missing and landing well past where their opponents were even if they didn't move out of the way. Carter and Catarzano hit a decent double team neck breaker and a 450 splash and it's over in five minutes. 
Jensen has been taken out backstage, and Briggs is screaming, they did this, and they left him no choice. What? Who is they? Uh, they've apparently repackaged uh, Kaylee Ray as an arsonist, and her name is now Alba Fire. Right, right. Legato del Fantasma takes on uh, Briggs and this unknown lady. Um, this went from a normal tag match to now a mixed handicap match. Uh, both women are, again, bocce, and Briggs is bigger than both of Legato together, but they're beating him down. Legato hit a great-looking double-team move, and Briggs showed off some power, but the women came back in, and it got bad again. Legato got the win in eight minutes, and this can't get any worse, guys. It really can't. Oh, wait. Mackenzie is now interviewing Natalia and Lash Legend. They say they'll win next week, and you know what? Natalia said that the future looks bleak and the current crop of NXT women. And guess what? She was right. Not one impressed me tonight in any way, shape, or form. The women's division in NXT has gone downhill. Except for Toxic Attraction and Cora Jade, no one left is on the roster is anything that good. Kiana James is next. Um, is NXT's new accountant, and she's going to be NXT's next breakout star. Okay, seriously, what the fuck? She's like IRS, a woman IRS, only worse. Um, yeah. Uh, we then get Solo Sequoia taking on Trick Williams. Cameron Grimes is on commentary, and I'm looking forward to this one. Trick actually has a decent moveset and used every heel move in the book and targeted Solo Sequoia's shoulder. Sequoia, on the other hand, fought back and hit a big splash from the top to get the win in six minutes. Figures the first good match on the show, and it's short. Uh, Enough and Blade are getting hyped up, but they will be fighting the Viking Raiders next, and that ain't good. Santos, Escobar, and Legato are celebrating backstage, and they say Tony D and his goons will continue to pay. Viking Raiders taking on Enough and Blade. The two youngsters tried to use their speed, but the Raiders destroyed them at every turn, and they hit their finisher and got the win in five minutes. I guess short and sweet is better. Uh, Post-match, the Creed stare down the Raiders, and I cannot wait for this match. Two big horse tag teams that can actually wrestle going at it. We see a vignette for Wesley. He talks about all the problems lately uh, and how he needs to start climbing back up to the top. Got a feel for this guy. His partner got fired for all the allegations that went on. They took away his tag team titles, and now he's just left in NXT to wander around. Maybe he needs to go find Shaman Riddle again. McKenzie is interviewing Tony D, and he introduces us to Stax and Two Dimes. Great names. He wants to sit down with Escobar next week. No match? Really? Roxanne Perez takes on Mandy Rose. Very good match with both women showing off. Perez with two matches has become a major part of NXT, and Rose continues to, dom to dominate. Perez hit a series of pinning attempts, but woke up to a major knee to the head by Mandy Rose. The NXT Women's Champ got the win in 11 minutes. Great women's match. It was desperately needed. Finally, some vindication here. Post-match, Wendy Chu catches Toxic Attraction in a net, and she and Perez spray them down with silly string. All right. Interesting. Uh, we get a rundown of spring break-in or breakout, whatever it's called, and it looks like a decent card, but a lot of holes in this one, and I have to say it could be good, but I don't have high hopes after this show. Joe Gacy is out in the arena and cutting a promo about his title shot next week. I'm liking his character. In fact, he's the only new NXT guy I like. Rick Steiner interrupts and comes to the ring and says that his son, Braun Breaker, is ready for next week. 
the Druids step up on the ring as if they're going to attack Rick, and Braun comes out to make the save for his dad. Joe Gacy hit a major cheap shot and ends the show holding the NXT title above his head. Uh, I give this week's show a 2 out of 5. Not many redeeming qualities for this episode and really took the wind out of my sails. Next week better be good because, again, I have to make the threat. NXT 2.0, if you don't get better, I don't need to watch. Now moving on to NXT Dynamite. Excuse me, AEW Dynamite. It's not NXT in any way, shape, or form. Show starts off with CM Punk joining commentary. And uh, our opening match is going to be great. Dax Wilder versus Cash Wheeler. Uh, They came out together and have the Hart Foundation logos on their gear. This is going to be good. Uh, Then these two got to work and had as technically sound of a battle as possible. Um, They went from move for move, and it was reminiscent of Owen Hart and Bret Hart. Uh, I mean, very similar. Uh, Cash caught Dax off guard with a roll-up, but Dax countered and picked up the win in 16 minutes in an excellent opener. Congratulations, guys. Uh, After the match, we found out CM Punk will challenge Adam Page for the AEW title at Double or Nothing in Las Vegas. Punk cuts a promo and puts over the AEW talent, including Page. Punk says he's ready for Vegas and guarantees it will be a fight. I cannot wait for this one. It's what I've wanted since Punk debuted in AEW is for him to have a world title shot. Much deserving. And he's went a few months since he debuted. Uh, so he deserved it. He definitely has earned his shot. Scorpio Sky is backstage and cutting a promo about tonight's ladder match. Uh, he puts over himself and all of his accomplishments. Says tonight he will find out that he is the true face of the TNT. Let's go. Danielson, Yuta, and Moxley take on Solo, QT, and Camarada from the uh, factory. Um, Team Regal attacks as they take their opponents apart immediately. To start the match, Mox then took it to Camarada at first, and then Solo. He tags in Yuta, and Solo, again, took the beating, but tags in Camarada, uh, and he just destroys Yuta. Uh, Danielson made the save and got in some sick kicks, but it was Wheeler Yuta who got another big win for his team at the 14-minute mark. Another solid trios match. I really like what they're doing with Wheeler Yuta. I think Danielson and Moxley are great, and how could you not love William Regal? Tony Schiavone is interviewing Jamie Hayter, Britt Baker, and Tony Storm again, just like he did last week. Ruby Riot gets in the mix and quoted Owen Hart. Britt and Jamie Storm off, and I understand we're building the women's tournament, but this was unneeded. It really was. It had no place on the show. It's making no sense. Uh, Tony is then interviewing Jurassic Express and Christian. Jungle Boy is upset, but Christian's showing signs of a heel turn and calls Jungle Boy a loser and then fixes it by telling him to pick up his title and not be a loser. Um, He then challenges any of the top five tag teams to come get a shot at the AEW World Tag Team titles, which is answered by Team Taz, Ricky Starks, and Hobbs. Ricky says they'll challenge anywhere, just let him know. This could be really good. Uh, Archer then takes on Wardlow, and before the match, MJF cuts a promo and says Archer will kill Wardlow. The bell sounds and Archer hits a senton from the apron onto Wardlow, once they get in the ring, it's a different story because Wardlow hits clotheslines and a big power slam. Wardlow fought off a choke slam and proceeded to hit four power bombs and get the win in seven minutes. Good battle of the monsters. Uh, it was quick. They all got in their shots, and it's good to see Wardlow continuing to win. 
in the ring between uh, a promo uh, between Eddie Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz, and the Jericho Appreciation Society. Dumbest name ever. <laughs> Kingston said it's best during. Uh, it said it best during this one. He hates the sports entertainment crap. Guess what, Eddie? I do too. That's what this was. But Kingston saved it would hit the realness of his promo and telling Chris Jericho that if they intend to take him out, they need to understand what that word means in Eddie's world. We get a tape vignette of Sammy Guevara. Sammy says tonight he remains TNT champion, and it doesn't matter what the fans think. Slowly turning this man heel. I guess the way they wanted to do Cody Rhodes, but um, I'm liking it. We then go to Serena Deeb and uh, Hirokio Shida, part 79. Uh, this was a Philly street fight, and it was exactly what you would expect. They used chairs, kendo sticks, and even powder. Uh, Shida fought hard and showed she was determined to get the win, but Deeb wanted it more. Deeb put on the Texas Cloverleaf and got the win in 15 minutes. Solid match. I just hope that this feud is over. Lexi is then backstage, and she's entering MJ, interviewing MJF and Sean Spears. Well, before MJF yells, her, yells at her and makes her run off. MJF says next week, Wardlow's opponent will be smarter and taller, and you can't teach that. Enzo, Big Cass, who? Jesus. The House of Black have murdered Fuego del Sol and are about to remove his mask. A voice stops them and says they've been waiting for the right moment. Pentagon appears and brings out the returning Pac. And then in the ring, it is Ray Phoenix back very quickly after a torn shoulder. Uh, Death Triangle reunites and gets the upper hand in a great segment. Tony Schiavone interviews Swerve Strickland and Darby Allen. They exchange pleasantries and promise that Friday night they will steal the show. We then go to the main event, which is a six, uh, 10-man tag, excuse me, it's Cole, the Young Bucks, and Red Dragon of the Undisputed Elite taking on Dante Martin, Brock Anderson, Lee Moriarty, and the Varsity Blondes, uh, Brian Pillman Jr. and Griff Garrison. Not to take anything away from their opponents, but this was a glorified squash by, by the uh, Undisputed Elite. We saw the Superkick Party, great technical skills of Fish and O'Reilly, and the attitude of Adam Cole. Cole hit the boom and got the win in nine minutes. Post-match, Cole hands the Undisputed Elite uh, shirts, and everyone looks like they're a co cohesive unit. And I apologize for my flub a second ago. This was not the main event. Um, we still have one more match. But backstage, the Jericho Appreciation Society, dumbest name ever, are attacking Santana, Ortiz, and Kingston. Jericho throws a fireball on Kingston, and the JSA run off. Wow. I actually didn't see that one coming. It looks like this... Um, this feud's about to get brutal, ladies and gentlemen. And now is it, it is main event time, the ladder match for the TNT title uh, between Scorpio Sky and champion Sammy Guevara. This was incredible, mainly because both guys were willing to do anything. The standing Spanish fly on the ladder was sickening, but there was way too much interference. Dan Lambert, Tay Conte, and Paige Van Zandt had no business in that ring. Sky sent Guevara into the barbed wire, but Sammy caught him on the ladder. Sky finally pushed Sammy off, grabbed the belt, and became a two-time TNT champion in 22 minutes. I am giving this episode a four out of five. It was good and definitely had some must-see moments, but it was a little too much filler going on in the show as well. And that will bring us to the final part of our show uh, for show reviews. 
uh, AEW Rampage. And this week's show starts the same way last week did, in the ring with no entrances or announcements. No complaints, though, because it is Darby Allen taking on Swerve Shane Strickland. This history uh, between the two of them was talked about throughout the match, and you could see the one-upsmanship going on. Counter for counter and move for move, Swerve and Darby kept up with one another throughout. Swerve hit his finisher, but Ricky Starks caused a distraction with Sting chasing him off. This allowed Darby to hook him up in a roll-up and get the win in 10 minutes. Good opener, but I did want it to last a little bit longer. At the announcer's desk, Chris Jericho is putting himself over and talking about the fireball incident on Dynamite. Santana and Ortiz come and beat the crap out of Jericho on the stage until security broke them up. I'm liking where this is going. And if we're getting Jericho versus uh, one of the members of uh, Pride and Powerful, I'm all for it. I-, I love Santana and Ortiz. And I think that being in the ring with Jericho can only evaluate them even higher than they already have been. Uh, we then go to the ring for a six-woman tag. It is Jade Cargill, Kira Hogan, and Red Velvet taking on uh, Sky Blue, Adora, and Nightingale. Uh, this was a bunch of punches, kicks, and botches, and not in that order. Uh, the three enhancement talent girls were terrible. Hogan was bad. Velvet was just as bad, and Jade was okay. Jade hit the glam slam and got the win in four minutes. At least they kept it short. Backstage, Tony Schiavone interviews Darby Allen and Shane Strickland. Darby apologized and said if he wanted to go another five minutes, they could, after Ricky Stark's involvement. Swerve says he knows it wasn't Darby, and he's rooting for him in the whole Owen Hart tournament, and is going to go get Keith Lee to finish off their business with Starks and Hobbs. I've liked the continued storyline between Swerve and um, Keith Lee uh, being a tag team. I think it's given Keith some uh, the right direction, but. Um, I don't know. I just hope that uh, it it leads to a great match between all four men. Keith Lee is then in the ring, and he's taking on Colton Gunn. The young Gunn was outmatched and couldn't budge Lee. He got in one defensive move, and Lee handled the rest. Spirit Bomb got hit, and Keith Lee got the win in eight minutes. Not bad, but not great either. Lee needs to stick with the tag team for right now with Strickland. Otherwise, he has no direction in AEW. Tony Schiavone interviews Jeff Hardy, and we find out that Jeff will take on Bobby Fish next week on Dynamite in an Owen Hart tournament matchup. Uh, Jeff and Matt run down the dream matches that we can see if Jeff advances in the Owen Hart tournament and and then guarantees victory. We then hear from the Undisputed Elite with Matt and Nick doing a bunch of hoopla and Adam Cole making a bunch of noise, and all they really do is guarantee victory for Bobby Fish against Jeff Hardy next week. So both guys are guaranteed victory. It's just a matter of who's actually going to get him. Danhausen is in the ring, and he calls out Hook. Hook immediately answers, and Danhausen is shaking in the ring. They get interrupted by Mark Sterling and Tony Nese. Nice attacks from out from behind, taking it to both Hook and Danhausen. Hook finally lands a killer-looking suplex on Tony Nese, uh, and then Danhausen puts a, a curse on Sterling and Nice. Um, he then goes to handshake Hook, and Hook threatens him and walks off. I'm kind of glad that he didn't join Danhausen here. I'm probably sure they're going to do it eventually, but Hook does not need a comedy sidekick right now. I like Danhausen and all that he does, but Hook is too serious to be putting with that guy. Uh, Lexi is interviewing the Gun Club, and they are trying to say that they didn't lose to Keith Lee 
They showed they could do it all. The acclaimed approaches when offered to team with the gun club and asked them if they want a scissor. Okay. Uh, and then they both walk off saying they need to talk to their dad, Billy Gunn. This was bad. This was this was this was NXT bad. Mark Henry does the split screen interview with the main event combatants. Samoa Joe promises to lay a beat down on Trent. Trent says Joe may think he's gonna hurt him and he might even do it, but he's ready for a fight. Henry ends the segment and says it's time. So it's now Samoa Joe versus Trent Beretta for the Ring of Honor World Television title. Well, Joe kept his promise and delivered a beatdown. Trent got in a couple of shots with a drop kick and a right hand and a nice looking splash to the outside, but Joe kept coming. Joe hit a suplex and then locked in the rear naked choke and got the win in 10 minutes. I wanted more from this one and the and the opening match, but still good. Uh, post-match, Tony Schiavone interviews Samoa Joe. They get inter- interrupted by Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, and the great Kali 2.0. Um, Orange Cassidy did his shtick with the big guy, and Jay Lethal hit the ring and went toe-to-toe with Samoa Joe. Show goes off the air with a pull-apart, and that was all. I'm giving this episode a 3.5 out of 5, but that was only because of the opening and main event. The rest of the show was pretty bad and was not, you know, was really the good was cut short uh, while they, you know, put everything else they could that was kind of sucky on the show. This was the first episode of Rampage that I have to say I have not liked. And that's weird because I've liked them all. So it's, it really goes without saying. Uh, I hope AEW steps it up a bit next week. I understand not every show could be a five-star classic, but the last few weeks have been on both Rampage and AEW. Why start slacking off now? So that brings us to our final segment of the night, and it is viewer-listener questions. I put out a post on um, the Facebook page of the We Can't Wrestle podcast, and I asked my listeners and my friends Go ahead and ask me some questions. So that's exactly what they did. And our first question comes from Bobby Anders. And he asked me what my favorite theme song was. Well, I have to say The Undertaker is a fantastic theme song. It always gives me chills. Um, Cult of Personality for CM Punk is one of my favorite songs ever. Even before it became his theme song, it was one of my absolute favorite songs that I had ever heard. So when Punk came out to it, uh, again, I popped big. Um, and the DX theme song uh, has always been one of my favorites as well. Um, so in that order, those three are my top three favorites, uh, with The Undertaker definitely coming out on top. From Jason Joseph, uh, he asked me, women's division, one from AEW and one from WWE, who would it be? Well, from WWE, I have to give it to Becky Lynch. Um, And here's why. This woman had a great career before she became the man, Big Time Bex. She changed her career and then got an even better one when she became the man. She then left for over a year and had a baby, came back and dominated again. Uh, So Becky Lynch is definitely my vote for WWE. As for AEW, it's a little bit harder. I'm kind of tossed up between Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa, but I think they would be my 1A and 1B uh, if I had to choose. Britt led the division for the last year. 
Thunder Rosa did all she could to climb the ladder. The both of them had spectacular matches. So I have to go with the both of them. But as I said, on a 1A and 1B uh, platform. Coming up next from Bobby Anders again. Favorite faction. Um, back in the day, it was the Generation X. Uh, I, I, you know, I like the NWO too, but I think the, the DX being smaller and more condensed to only five or six members at the time, you know, at the most it got to was six, I think. Um, it was fantastic. You know what I mean? Um, that was back in the day. Nowadays, I'm, I'm digging the, uh, the faction, um, of Edge and uh, Damian Priest, and I hope they add more people to it. Uh, there's, as I told you earlier, talk of Tommaso Ciampa and uh, Rhea Ripley joining them. So if that's the case, more power to them. Um, but I'm liking what Edge and Damian Priest are doing right now as a team, and I hope it grows into a faction. Now coming up from uh, Nathan Roberts, what is your favorite match of the year so far? And favorite feud so far this year. I like it, Nathan. Uh, favorite match of the year so far is, um, well, from AEW, it's MJF and CM Punk from uh, the last pay-per-view. Um, I mean, that dog collar match was as gritty and good as it gets. They put everything they could into that 30 minutes, and Punk and MJF leading up to that matchup was fantastic. From the WWE... I'm going to have to go with, uh, I'm guessing, I'm thinking, it's a hard one actually, but Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania was actually good, although it was cut short. Um, You know, they, they had a lot going into that match. The feud was great. Brock was around constantly, so it really added to uh, the match. And in regards to the second part of your question of my favorite feud so far this year, from AEW, it's Punk and MJF. And from WWE, it's Roman Reigns and Brock. Uh, both of those feuds made both of those companies better while they were going on. Uh, I kind of wish Brock and, and Roman would have went on a little longer after WrestleMania so Roman would have some direction. But it's okay. And I think that MJF and Punk lasted the perfect amount of time. Once again, from Bobby Anders, who's the most entertaining to watch then and now? Well, the most entertaining to watch then was the Macho Man Randy Savage. In my opinion, one of the best. He could do it on the mic. He could do it in the ring. And he was just fantastic, whether it was WWF or WCW. There was no better than the Macho Man. Most entertaining now, MJF. Maxwell Jacob Friedman is a heel through and through. Whether he is signing an autograph and telling your kid to go fuck himself or he is in the ring and yelling at the crowd at the same time. MJF is the most entertaining. So that's uh, the answer for then and now, Macho Man and MJF. From Mandy M. Pesci. This one is long, so I'm going to go ahead and read it. Bear with me. You guys understand way more about the inner workings of these companies than I would. My question, though, is that with all the releases and rehirings of talent between the respected companies within the past few years, do you think that the WWE and AEW are in cahoots? And does it matter what promotion the talent wrestles for? It's one big cohesive money-making company. Vince pulls the string on one side. Tony Schiavone pulls the string on the other side. 
do you do they just want us to believe they are competing well when the wwe bought wcw vince said he wanted to make competition for himself and back then i would have believed it yes but fast forward 20 years later i say no here's why i believe that tony uh, khan wants to have his own company and wants competition but not in the same way that eric bischoff did he's not trying to put vince mcmahon out of business we've seen what it's like when there was only one major wrestling company doing all the work and it wasn't that good so to have another place for these wrestlers to go and to have another company to give the fans what they want i think that's what tony's looking for on the other hand vince wants a monopoly and doesn't want competition anymore vince wants you to believe that the wwe is the only company in the world uh whether you go to japan asia saudi arabia pakistan he wants you to believe it's just the wwe so it, that's his way of thinking of it no i don't think they're in cahoots i don't think that they want us to believe that there's competition i think there is competition and at times it's just not very healthy uh because Vince is constantly firing people for no reason, for budget cuts, and Tony is just hiring way too many people. So it could end up hurting both companies in the long run. Back to Bobby Anders' questions. Yes, Bobby sent in about five, and that's fine. Um, favorite promotion other than the WWF? Right now, it's AEW. They, AEW is, is miles ahead of WWE, in my opinion. You can be mad at me and call me a fanboy. I don't care. Uh, they're putting out a better product uh at times um back in the day though when it was the wwf my favorite promotion was ecw um i was a diehard ecw fan i hate that i never got to go to any of their live shows or their pay-per-views uh mainly because my family said that was way too crazy of an environment for me to be in at 15 years old um and yeah so it was ecw all the way i was a diehard ecw fan from 95 up until they ended so and our uh, next question is from ryan damon top five favorite game shows he says it worked on another podcast that he listens to and he wants to hear it here that's fine and well let's start from number five number five would be hollywood squares i always loved it i found it funny uh the celebrities that they would bring on to be in the uh, squares were often funny and as a kid i remember laughing and just enjoying it you know alf being on there as a kid was like oh alf is on another show uh you know and even to this day when they do uh, a, a certain variety of that kind of show i still enjoy it uh number four pictionary i don't remember if anybody remembers that show in the early 90s uh they used to do a, a drawing show modeled after the video the board game pictionary and uh, celebrities would come on and have a um a regular person as their um partner or partners and they would draw and you'd hear these people make these outlandish statements of what they thought the person was drawing and either they'd get the answer correctly after a couple of seconds or they'd fall flat on their face either way it was funny number three i like wheel of fortune um i have a cousin named lisa who's a few years younger than me and she makes it very funny to watch because this girl can get an answer with just four letters revealed on a 10 word board and i always laughed when she could do that i'm like damn you're rain man 
And uh, she gets a little angry because she thinks I'm calling her autistic, which I'm not making fun of anybody with autism. What I mean is, is that for her to be that zoned in is hysterical. And I just like the aspect of people guessing the letters and then, you know, either falling flat on their face with their answer, um, you know, or, you know, getting it correctly and then going to the final puzzle. It's always been a, a good, um, good show. Uh, number two, who wants to be a millionaire? Um, I've always been a Regis Feldman fan. And when that show came out, number one, his dressing style was fantastic back then when he would match the tie to the shirt. And the suit was always uh, impelling, you know, absolutely great on him. Um, and the show aspect, the trivia aspect. I love trivia. And uh, when I hear those questions answered, uh, if I can answer them, I feel smart. And if I don't answer them and I get it wrong, yeah, I feel dumb. But, you know, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was revolutionary in that they gave away so much money to people, ordinary people who came on and were, were good at trivia. And number one. With a bullet, Jeopardy. I have been watching Jeopardy with my dad and my mom and my granddad, God rest his soul, and now my wife, uh, Sarah, uh, since I've been seven years old. So that's 33 years. Um, Alex Trebek was my absolute favorite. And again, I love trivia. I love the aspect of three people going after each other and trying to one-up one another. Uh, Very competitive show. Uh, I like when I see people in the hole for their money. Like, you know, you got one guy who's sitting there at 10000 and before the game's over, you got somebody at minus $500. you are like, wow. You know, and I, I love Final Jeopardy as well. Um, it, the whole all-around part of that show is fantastic to me. And it's it's sad that Alex Trebek retired and then passed away. And now we have new host every so often, Ken Jennings who was the, the most winningest man in Jeopardy history, um, by far is a great host. And Mayan Bialik from Blossom and uh, um, Big Bang Theory is fantastic as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a Jeopardy fan. Uh, that's why it's at my number one. And our final question um, is, again, from Bobby Anders. As I said, Bobby asked five questions, and that's fine. Uh, it made it made it for a better show. Thank you, Bobby. Um he asks me, predict who you think is going to take away the title from Roman Reigns. Bobby, Roman has beaten everybody on the roster. And I think it's going to take someone coming back, uh, a bigger name, hopefully not Goldberg. Um, you know, I, I just, there's nobody on the roster right now. I'd like to say Drew McIntyre, but they've allowed Drew to be abused and put in bad feuds for these last few months. I'd like to say Bobby Lashley, but again, he's involved in a terrible feud with Omos at MVP. You know, um, Kevin Owens has been knocked down the card so much, it's kind of ridiculous. Seth Rollins the same. Cody Rhodes would be the ideal person. But that's in a perfect world. In Vince's world, Cody's going to feud with Seth Rollins for at least until SummerSlam and then probably end up in a feud with Kevin Owens or someone else on the roster. But I guess if I had to pick someone on the roster right now, it would be Cody Rhodes. At least I hope it's Cody. Um, you know, for all he's been through, for all they did to him when he was in the WWE and he was Stardust, uh, for him going out and becoming a journeyman wrestler and going around the world, 
and to different companies and becoming the world heavyweight champion in ring of honor uh the united states champion in japan and the tnt champion in aew um i think cody is deserving of a world title shot and push in the wwe so once again thank you to bobby anders jason joseph nathan roberts mandy Ampeshi, and ryan damon for your questions very much so appreciated guys uh, we will oh wait, we will do uh, listener questions again down the line. Uh, next week, I should have uh, Grinds My Gears uh, back up and running. Uh, you know, I just I haven't had anything that big of a deal to talk about yet. That's grinding my gears. So um, thank you guys for listening. I hope this was a good show for you guys. I think it was good for me. Um, you know, we're at number 49. As I said, next week is 50, and I will definitely have something uh big plan so make sure that you stay tuned thank you all for listening and as always i will see you next week on if you smell what the arch is cooking